Bits and Bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all things LEGO games. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich 25-year history of LEGO games, chat with early developers and seasoned studios who have all tackled the creation of video games for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the LEGO Group. These days, Marvel is everywhere. From the continued discussion of the amazing Infinity Saga movies that ran from 2008 to 2019, to the long list of Marvel television shows, to what's coming out over the next year or two, there's even a new Lego set that just hit. The Spider-Man-themed Daily Bugle includes a 2.7-foot-tall replica of the eponymous newspaper building and 25 Marvel minifigures. But back in 2012, only a half dozen Marvel movies had hit the screen and none of the television shows had aired yet. Right, uh, to put it in Guardians of the Galaxy terms, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was still just a twig. A smiling, dancing little twig. Perfect. Lego video games were in a sort of golden era at the time, ushered in by developers TT Games. The game that helped establish the studio that would become TT Games, Lego Star Wars a video game, hit in 2005. That was quickly followed by a number of other Lego Star Wars games, then Indiana Jones, Rock Band, Batman, Two Harry Potters, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Caribbean? Caribbean. Caribbean? (laughs) Caribbean, yes. Caribbean, yes, that. In 2012, they were wrapping up on Lego Lord of the Rings and Batman 2 when a new opportunity rolled around. Arthur Parsons is the head of design at TT Games, and and you and I interviewed him. We we will be hearing from him very shortly, and, and he described it not just as a new opportunity, but an opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, and, and who wouldn't? Yeah. We're talking about Lego Marvel superheroes. This is a game that introduced the wider world to the massive, massive Marvel universe at a time when it was just getting to know the likes of Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and X-Men. Don't forget about Marvel's The Avengers, right? It had just come out and really really set the stage in many ways for this game. Yeah, that's so right. Uh, there's really so much to talk about here, and, and I think the best thing to do is just to, to let Arthur take it away. He was there. I know you've worked on a lot of games at TT, and I'm just curious, prior to you first hearing about Marvel, working with Marvel, what were you working on and, and what led you into Marvel in terms of game design? I'm just trying to think. I. I think, and I'm pretty sure about this, it was Lego Batman 2 that came before Marvel and a little kind of jaunt slash side hustle um, helping out on um, Lego City Undercover. And obviously we'd had great success with Lego Batman, the original Lego Batman, the video game. And then Lego Batman 2 suddenly it just captured people's imaginations in a different way because the open world of Gotham and you know, the first video game where the Lego minifigures spoke and had voices and were brought to life in another dimension. And you know, I've, I've always been a fan of comics from, from both sides of the fence. It was a natural progression to think about doing a Lego Marvel game. <laughs> when, when the opportunity arose... Uh, let's just say I was first to grab it with 76 different hands, I think. Nice. 
Can you walk us through that scenario, um, you know, how this idea first came up and uh, how it kind of crossed your desk? If I remember rightly and correctly, the fact of the matter was that the Lego group had brought back their superhero range. Yeah, Lego Batman had been a massive success, but the toy range had stopped before Lego Batman was released, so like 2008. They did then re-release a Lego superhero range, and that naturally made us look and think, well, hold on, in that Lego superhero range, you've got the Lego DC superhero range, and you've got the Lego Marvel superhero range. Clearly, Marvel was having its moment with the movies, with Avengers. It was one of those things where it was like, let's make this happen. The Lego group obviously wanted it to happen. We'd worked with Disney before, obviously Disney owning Marvel. And we had that conversation of doing a Lego Marvel game. And it it was in those first conversations that sort of said, look, we, we want to do an original game. We, we don't want to just like follow the movies here. What we would like to do is take a, a leaf out of what we've learned from um, the Lego Batman games and do an original story because it allows you more flexibility. And I recall, we, you and I have, have spoken quite a bit over the years in terms of these other games that came out. I remember you would go on these press tours and, and, and talk about the games that are coming out. And I remember many times talking to you about like all the different properties you were handling. Uh, you, you would often say, like the the one property that you wanted to do more than any other was Harry Potter, of course. Um, and you you had by the, at this stage had already done Lego Harry Potter years one through four and Lego Harry Potter years five through seven. So when Marvel was first speaking with you, did they have any ideas in mind? What was their sort of goal, and and did they give you any sort of sense of direction or what they wanted the game to contain or not contain? Yeah, when we were first talking about this game. The decision had to be made. Did we go and try to do an Avengers game, like a, a, literally a straight Avengers game? Right. Or did we try to be something that was more, like spanned more family groups? And at the time, again, I'm trying to just make sure I've got the history right in my head. I'm pretty sure that there was only the one Avengers movie that had been released. And the best Lego games have a number of movies. You, you need an, an amount of content to be able to play with. And we just didn't feel we could do the Marvel Universe justice unless it was an original story. And that's where the conversation with Marvel, to be fair, it was really difficult to keep that on the straight and narrow because the team, the Marvel game team we were dealing with, were so passionate, as you'd expect, about Marvel and the Marvel content. And so were we. We had to try and keep a lid on it. But the agreement that we had was we would sort of try and cover all families equally. So, you know, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Avengers family. Each of the families would get an equal share and be brought together and crossed over together and mashed up together. Because by doing that, we were going to do something that nobody had actually seen. Something that was actually completely unique for a Marvel video game. Right, and that's like a, the the in some sense the entirety of the Marvel universe, like touching on it at least. Yeah, that's exactly what we tried to do. And and you know, if anyone remembers the credits or you know, like hits it up online, the post credits scene where the Guardians of the Galaxy rock up. This was like before the Guardians of the Galaxy were popular, and so 
I, I remember people looking and going, who are these like really busy? Yeah, you know, who, who's who's this raccoon guy and who's Drax and who's Starlord <laughs> right. and what are these people and why is there like a tree thing talking? <laughs> and it's like that's right. You look at it now and it's like it was almost like foretelling the future. But that was the coolest thing with Marvel because because the movies are based on what we're passionate about, which is the comics. You read the comics, you know where the movies, the TV shows, and everything else are going to go. Right. So if you know your stuff and you put that enthusiasm and passion into your content, the content is timeless and ageless. And all of a sudden, people think we're geniuses, but we're not. We just love comic books. But yeah, the, some of the stuff in that game, it goes deeper than you can imagine, which I think is why it resonated so well with, with gamers of all ages. So I know, uh, again, and, and sort of when we were chatting, I think you mentioned that early on in that sort of pre-production phase, which I think lasted like almost half a year, uh, you had this small core team and you did a lot of the design work on paper. Is that correct? <laughs> um, yeah, you're, <laughs> this is a sort of a running joke. Um, always has been a running joke in the studio because the design team I work with, yeah, they're brilliant. But we all design in different ways. So some of us, yeah, me being probably the oldest, I like to design on paper. There's um, some of the people like to design in some sort of 3D program where you can sort of like design the stuff more as it would end up right. being built in Maya, but you'd build it in, in another sort of like software program. We were very much concentrating on the one thing we knew we had to get right, which was every single Marvel character had to feel like the character because everyone knows everyone knows how spider-man moves right. and acts everyone knows how iron man flies yeah. and what he does and and what hulk does that was it that was the, the the most basic thing we had to get right was make those characters really do everything that little six-year-old billy or his dad who's or, or mum who's like in their 40s or whatever everyone knows what to expect Give them that, but then give them something they don't expect on top. And that was where the devil of the detail is. That I mean, that must have been uh, at some time a little overwhelming. Like you have uh, – I'm a huge Marvel uh, fan. Uh, I, I lean more Marvel than DC. Uh, love comics in general. But like the idea of someone just saying, okay, here's the Marvel universe, the multiverse of all the Marvel things. Do whatever you want. Like I, where do you start? How do you figure that out? Um, well, yeah. What we actually did was we sat in a room and we just sat there and said, right, before we get to writing a story, let's just write every character we want featured, every location we want featured, and then we'll try and make head or tail of it. So, yeah, we've all got our favorite characters from the Marvel Universe. And so I was a massive like advocate for the Fantastic Four. And, yeah, everyone probably knows my favorite actual character is the thing, uh, Ben Grimm. So we all had to write down like who we wanted and where we wanted to feature. We want to feature the raft, and we want um, you know the heli carrier, and we want to go to some wacky, crazy places. So we did that, and then it was like, how are we going to make this make sense? I remember because Stephen was like, we've got to go to the X mansion. I was like, well, how are we going to get that in there? Because we're going to have an open world New York, and it's like, yeah, it's fine. Just stick at the top of New York, and it's almost like. Yeah, Westchester, but it, but it's not quite. It's like, okay, fine, if you think we can get away with it. And it's like, yeah, and I want Juggernaut. It's like, but what do you mean? And it's like, well, Juggernaut from the movie just running around, you know, the Vinnie Jones one. It's like, oh, here we go. Right, right. But, <laughs> but that gave us the framework where we could then sit and, and almost like piece it 
out with 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 post-it notes or something and go right characters locations and from that framework we sort of built on it we had help from uh, a great writer called mark hoffmeyer who sort of like helped stitch it together once we'd got the, the core locations and you know wanting to get the red skull in and everyone else and then it almost sat perfectly we knew we wanted to bring in the silver surfer and galactus we knew the journey that we needed to take people on we, we really desperately wanted to have a heli carrier in the sky and give people that magical moment gentlemen we need you back at the baxter building pronto director fury wants as much info on those cosmic bricks as you can find when you first step off when you first get like after level one to the heli carrier and then you get that sort of moment of just falling into new york these were all the things that we sketched out it was an awful lot of work to get it there but um see i remember the first time i saw a kid's face as he stepped off the heli carrier and like he was just like wow you know this absolute mind blow as he fell down towards um towards manhattan it was it was incredible yeah, um, you your player count. I know that you uh, up to that point, I think had set a record with playable characters in one of your games with Harry Potter, where you had what two hundred and ten or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you wanted to break that with this one. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, I'll end up in trouble with uh, with the people that that pay the development fees and the bills. But yeah, I I wanted to be <laughs> uh, like the title that we had already sort of like maintained like i remember we got a guinness world record for the most number of playable characters in a superhero video game which it's quite an obscure record to be fair (laughs) right very specific exactly (laughs) we then had the record for the most number of playable characters in a video game so that's better Mm -hmm. and then we thought well why not do both but the problem is and this is where and this why i'm so passionate about this universe and like the comic universes together as we sort of revealed the game, and we, I remember when we went to E3, but more importantly, when we went to San Diego Comic-Con that year, and I sat on a panel, which was an incredible experience, and then all of a sudden people are saying, is this character in the game? Is that character in the game? Is, and you sat there going, oh, no. Right. No. What, you know, this eight, this, what about 8,000 Marvel characters. You're not going to cover them all. We're not stupid. But <laughs> right. the, the passion some people have for some characters blew my mind. I knew that some people loved Squirrel Girl. I I know that some people love Hulkling or Wiccan or Captain Marvel, whoever it is. But then there are also people coming out of the woodwork, you know, for some, what I would consider to be more obscure characters. And it's like, okay, there's quite a following. Very, very foolishly, we decided to have some fun with that on social media. And that just went crazy, the requests (laughs) we were having. So yeah, we ended up with a bigger number. And you basically went on social media and said, just tell us what you want in the game, which characters. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm sure you got a million, well, 8,000 recommendations probably. It's what they say you should do at social media is ask you know, people what they want, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? It was great because connecting with players on that level for a game like ours, it's not something we'd done before. You know, obviously, games that are aimed at a more mature audience they have ways of connecting. Live service games have ways of connecting. 2013, for a Lego game, like theoretically aimed at kids, and you have grown men and women hitting you up, asking you for this character, that character, the other character, and we're doing everything we can 
to say yes. I remember I came back from San Diego and had a team meeting where I debriefed them and was like, yeah, okay, this went well, this went well, this resonated, this stuff like was brilliant. Oh, and I'm really sorry, but we're going to need to add another eight characters. And I remember the team go, we, we're already behind. I was like, right. yeah, but come on, just like the people want it. Like there was a kid came and asked a question at the end of the panel, <laughs> it dressed up and he really wants his character. And I said, yes. And it was live streamed. And I'm really sorry, but can we do it? Um, <laughs> and it, it That's the worst. You know, you know, you need to stop going to live panels when you start promising fans things will be in your game. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. But, you know, I think that panel particularly yeah. because, you know, I, I got to meet Stan Lee and I, I was just That's like, nice. I was absolutely awesome, awestruck. Yeah. Who, by the way, is he's in the game, of course. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. We don't we don't have long enough to talk about all the stories for this game. But I remember when I said internally, I want to put Stanley in the game. And I remember people going, You want to do what? I was like, Well, look, he, he's the king of cameos. He, he cameos in the movies. How cool would it right. be to cameo in the game? And then people are scratching their head, going, No, nah, this just just it's not going to happen it's like it'll cost too much money or he won't want to do it or whatever it was anyway i, I pushed and i put i've got a history of doing this i pushed and pushed and pushed and eventually it's like okay we'll have the conversation he just said yes he was like sounds like the coolest thing ever came in did some voice recording and that panel was actually the first time he saw the footage of him in the game um that's cool and and the fact that we not only put him in the game, but then gave him every ability so he could web swing. He could transform into, you know, into Stan Hulk and, <laughs> you know, had the Stan um, Iron Man suit. It was just incredible. But the one thing that was meant to go in that never went in was the Spider-Man theme. We just couldn't seal the deal on that. You know, the old school Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man yeah. does whatever oh, a spider right, right. can, right? Well, we had... Stan Lee's, and again, this never went in the game because we couldn't get the rights to the original song. Stan, we had a recording of Stan Lee singing Spider Stan, Spider Stan, does whatever a Spider Stan can. Oh, oh and it was gosh. its just the magic that never happens. Um, but anyway, oh, there you go. What a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and, and that's the thing. This game grew and was so good because of the passion of everyone that was involved in the studio wanting to just go... Why don't we add this? Why don't we add this? Why don't we add... And that's where every single thing came about. Even there's the, the tiniest thing. Having Bruce Banner transform to Hulk mm. and transform back to Bruce Banner, kids kids just sat there doing it again and again because they loved it. They thought yeah. it was the best thing ever. It is the best thing ever. <laughs> I, you're right. And, and, and again, yeah, we did the same. <laughs> it was like, let's do something crazy and have it so that you can basically suit up have a have a hall of armor. Basically, allow players to run around and then call in a suit of armor, and and it suits up exactly as it does in the movies and the comics. And it, and again, right, it blew people's minds. And yeah, that's that's I think where the game delivers because it delivers on every single gamer's imagination. Mm. This is probably the closest you'd get to an interactive you know, Lego group video game. This is, I like this character. I wish it did insert thing. And guess what it does? That's the genius of it. It's one thing to say you're going to have these characters in the game, but you didn't just drop them in as, you know, skins 
you there was a lot of work. I mean, you mentioned the Hulk transformations, you mentioned the Iron Man suits, but you had to you had to do that with basically all the playable characters, right? Was that uh, that had to have been at some point where you like, okay, we can only give each character like one ability, or like how how were you managing that? We were incredibly lucky as a group of designers on this game to have a lead animator, Andy, who didn't know, and to be fair, still doesn't know how to say no. He is like the most passionate fan. And so every time we would ask for something, he would be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, not a problem, not a problem. And then come back, not only with what we'd asked for, but like three or four other things. Because the way he got his animation team engaged on that game was was beyond like anything I'd seen before. Like they all picked like, a, yeah, each, each character went to a specific animator. They would do a full breakdown of the character, you know, what the character was known for, things the character's done, um, you know, in, in, in comics and in, in movies, TV shows, wherever they'd appeared. And then they would then, in tandem with us, work up what the abilities were. And, and we have, on that game, you know, there's, unfortunately, our consistency drops occasionally, but we have that rule of every button has to do something. So every character has to do something on a button press, on a button tap, so that you know that embodiment of that character, whether it is Juggernaut, whether it is Logger, whether it's Iron Man, Hulk, you know, even like Agent Coulson, whoever it is, the character has to be brought to life because this is something that people are so passionate about. Yeah, you know, everyone's worn Spider-Man pajamas. They've had a duvet. <laughs> no matter how old you are, you've had that experience right. of having, you know, a, a comic book touch on your life mm -hmm. and as such you know what you expect and then as we were running out of time that was when Andy and the team were going back and going look we've just added another idle animation we've added another personality touch here and and they were going back through adding as much as they can right up to the death like this this game was mm -hmm. worked on until submission week with new content and we were doing it as a team with nobody knowing. And I remember I was at, um, there was, I think it was a PlayStation 4 launch event in New York that sort of November time. And I was sat there talking to someone about the game and, and showing them the characters. And as I did it, Deadpool lifted his player ring up off the floor. So the little ring that's the player marker that every character has, he lifted it up and put it over his head. <laughs> and I, I was like, I've never, A, I've never seen that. B, I never signed it off. And C, that was never on any one of our lists. And I remember going back and saying, um, what was this? I was like, oh yeah, we added it again. We thought it'd be really funny. And I was like, it is, but we need to know everything that's in there. <laughs> because, you know, right. we, we need to make sure we, we've not done like a whoopsie. And, and the fact is, everything. I remember um, Chris from Marvel Games, he had the patience of a saint because he signed off and approved Everything, every animation, every line of dialogue, every move, every particle effect, every every inch, every pixel of that game. And that's testament to, again, his passion for video games. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of work.
Okay, so a lot to digest here, Brian, in our great Mm -hmm. chat with Arthur Parsons, and also a few names flying around that he mentions. Uh, We have Andy, uh, who is actually Andrew Dolan, one of the lead in-game animators at TT Games, who we had the pleasure of talking with, uh, and we'll hear from him later. But Arthur also mentions uh, Chris, uh, who is Chris Baker. You and I also got to speak with him. Uh, let's, Let's tell our listeners a little bit about him. Yeah. Chris is the creative director at Zen Studios. But long ago, back in the 2010s or so, he was at Marvel making sure people didn't give Mr. Fantastic adamantium claws or Spidey the ability to turn invisible. Yes, he was the master of Marvel, approving everything about how a Marvel character looked, acted, sounded, moved uh, in video games. So, So we chatted with him briefly about what that process was like. When Lego Marvel Superheroes came out, I was the, uh, what was my title? Manager of Licensed Games. That's what it was. Manager of Licensed Games at Marvel. Uh, so basically, it was, I was kind of the point person at Marvel uh, with TT Games. And uh, they would run things by me to go into the game. And I would say, that's cool. Or, hey, you guys need to change Spider-Man's outfit a little bit here and there. Or, you know, this story bit could use some work. So basically, uh, brand assurance is what it's called. And uh, it was my job to make sure that everything Marvel felt Marvel enough and was, uh, you know, appropriate of the Marvel name. So uh, the good news was there were only like what, how many characters did they have? (laughs) Oh, God, I want to say, uh, I could have told you. It was the most at the time. I know they've exceeded it since, but uh, at the time, I know like I did the math and like it, it occurred to me like if you play with each costume for one minute, you've already got like two hours of gameplay. Wow. <laughs> so, and you like they had to run every one of those by you. Like it yeah. wasn't like they could just say, we're going to have all these characters. You had to like, like what was that process like? And what was it you were looking at when they were saying, you know, we're going to have Hulk in here. Yeah, there's a very organized system. Um, I think it's changed over the years at Marvel, but back when I was there, you know, it, it go. they submit something into the system and it goes through legal and it goes through creative, which is where I was. Uh, and, you know, we, we make sure, you know, that it's something that belongs in the game uh, to begin with. And then that, you know, like it's representing... Uh, whatever that aspect of uh, the submission is. You know, if it's a character model, does it look like it should? You know, is there, uh, you know, is a color off? Is an angle of, you know, Wolverine's things on his <laughs> his, uh, his, his cowl? Or are they the right direction, you know? Um, and, you know, most of the time they were uh, pretty good. And, and, you know, there is a, an abstract, to just Lego characters having sort of that Lego DNA so you can allow a little bit more leniency. So did you, um, when you're doing this, when you're going through the process, were you ever doing any sort of checks where you were actually playing the game? Oh, yeah. Basically, uh, you know, when I was there, you know, I don't know what they they do now. It's been a while. But, um, you know, just key uh, milestones like, you know, alpha, beta. And yeah, I would spend hours playing the game and um you know my primary responsibility was making sure the marvel stuff was represented as it should be uh but you know if i thought something wasn't up to par or could be better you know i'd be like hey is there something we can do about this particular mission or you know i think this kind of thing is popping up too much maybe we can you know change some balance 
you know, that kind of thing. QA, basically. <laughs> wow, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't my job to do QA, but, uh, you know, basically I had to make sure that the game was in a good state, and um, usually it was. It's kind of hard, as opposed to a lot of games, just because Lego games are deceptively big. <laughs> right. You know, you, you can usually beat them in, like, eight or ten hours, Tops and but but you're only like twenty percent through when you beat the game, right? So right, right. There's that other eighty percent of finding characters and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you know it takes a long a long time to do that. But yeah, we we did have like milestones where we would approve it. Well, I mean that's got to be daunting. Like all of those characters, all the settings, everything about it, all the lines. You know, there's so many little little jokes that are made and little asides that you hear, you know, the idle animations, all that stuff. You're having to check all of that, right? And make sure it's Marvel? Yeah, you know, a lot of it actually, uh, I'm remembering now there was a huge spreadsheet of, uh, like all the characters were the column going down and, and all the their abilities were at the top of the sheet and, you know, they, they'd be X'd in, you know, like Hawkeye can shoot an arrow that lets him, uh, you know, grappling hook, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, Black Widow, grappling hook. Uh, you know, like, there's there's these very consistent abilities that uh, LEGO characters and LEGO games have. You know, it actually re- really wasn't that hard to make sure that everyone was, uh, you know, doing the things they could do because you had it all on paper. It, it takes a long time just to read through all that. I can only imagine how long it takes to map it out on their end. Wow. Were, were there any, you know, you played through this, you had to look through a lot of it. Were there any sort of things that really stuck out to you? Any favorite moments that you can remember? I remember Howard the Duck. We had, there's a mission where you go to Marvel, uh, which, you know, in Marvel Comics, Marvel Comics does exist. It's kind of a, a meta thing like that. Right, right. Uh, I can't remember if they put Marvel in themselves or if it was our idea, but I'm glad they did. But they they had a mission where Howard the Duck was teaming with the Vulture from Spider-Man. Vulture's got no business being here. To uh, protest, like, the, the lack of bird representation <laughs> in games or something. Uh, and, and, you know, but on my end, it was like, you know, Howard the Duck's a good guy. You know, we, we do... It, you guys, this is a fun idea, but, you know, is, is it off-brand to have Howard the Duck kind of fight our heroes? And so the way we got around that, we had Howard the Duck kind of comically, like, fire a, a bazooka that, like, actually hit himself and he, like, knocked himself out so you don't actually fight Howard the Duck. So it was just, a, like, a, a kind of fun way around, you know, keeping their fun idea, but making it just a little off-brand, not completely off-brand. It's Howard the Duck. You have a little more leeway with that kind of thing. What I like, speaking of the lack of uh, representation, I want to know why you didn't have any anthropomorphic cow people in your... (laughs) You and your lady bova fixation. I remember this. Yes. I I told Arthur had forgotten, but yes, I, I really wanted lady bova in the game. And you had so many characters, but she was not one of them. No, that is true. There was also no Hell Cow. Are you familiar with Hell Cow, the vampire cow? Yes, Hell Cow, yes. I think someone brought that up to me after I started going on and on about Lady Bova. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I didn't play all the way through number two, so maybe one or both of them is in there. But uh, 
Yeah, sorry for the lack of cow representation, lack of bovine representation there. You mentioned that you're, this is all being done right after Avengers comes out and you know Iron Man 3 is the next movie. And obviously you have to kind of dive in and dip into the universe, which you can do based on comics, but the pop culture might have not been fully there for you know some of the characters. So how did you see that in terms of like the job TT Games and, and Marvel did at bringing some of those you know heroes and minifigs to life that uh, that maybe didn't have quite the pop culture representation they have today? Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, a huge portion of the characters probably were not well known to people who only watch the movies. Yeah. You know, I, men- I mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy earlier. I know there's some fun kind of side missions where, like, you have to find the the sax for Drax because Drax loves to play the sax. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, I, one thing I do remember correcting them on uh, that that I had to was uh, Groot. Because yeah. there, there's uh, a mission, there's several missions where you have Groot give you something to do. And they actually had words for him. Oh, that's funny. And it's like, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> he says, <laughs> I am Groot. He'll say it differently. Uh, and I was there for the voice session on that. It was pretty hilarious. Uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, John DiMaggio. Oh, wow. Doing, oh, right, nice. Yeah, I, I think it was him. I am Groot! Yeah. I mean, it's so cool you caught that because, boy, wouldn't that have been kind of one of those look back faux pas, like, what are we doing here, guys, you know? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I will admit, like, if you go back and look at the Guardians together, their uh, outfits are kind of mismatched, you know? They, mm-hmm, they. Yeah. Uh, not only are different looking than they are in the movies, but, you know, they never really had those distinct looks as a team when they show up at the very end. Um, oh, there, there's here's a cool story. My boss at the time, uh, TQ Jefferson, and uh, me and our marketing guy, Javon Frazier, and, uh, and the whole TT team, we had like a big Comic-Con dinner where, you know, we just kind of like, talked about games and this game and that kind of stuff. And they, and, you know, my boss was like, and and I think it was uh, TQ and Arthur were like, you know, it'd be hilarious if like we did this fake out where it looked like, you know, the Black Panther shows up at the end, but we make, totally make it look like it's Batman. (laughs) And, and, you know, I'm sitting here like, you know, that's, that's awesome. But are we really going to do that? Because <laughs> that is not like something I, I'm used to, uh, you know, us being able to do. Um, but we did it, and you know, it's like right at the end of the story mode. Uh, it totally looks like Batman is going to show up, <laughs> and uh, the Black Panther pops out, who is a character that probably a lot of people didn't know who he was at the time. Mister Tittles, there you are, my brave comrade. Um. Mm. Huh? What? The people of Wakanda, thank you. <laughs> Stand a little straighter, walk a little prouder. You know, Ethan, I've known Chris for years, actually for more than a decade. He's, he's always been a great person to chat to about video games and comics. 
Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, it was really fun to talk to him. Uh, what's cool is that after the recording of the interview with us, uh, you know, for the podcast, he actually took, you know, the time to write up some additional thoughts and and even shared a fun little Easter egg oh, or two. Yeah, you know, they're, they're pretty fun little things. For instance, the title screen for LEGO Marvel Superheroes is this great view of outer space with LEGO brick asteroids blowing up and, of course, uh, this view of Silver Surfer. Uh, but Chris told us that he thought it would be fun need to add another Marvel character in that screen. And he thinks that very few people actually noticed it. So if you go into the launch screen and you don't touch any buttons or anything, you let it just sit there for a minute, you'll notice in the bottom left corner a little character, and that character is actually a Lego brick version of Ego, Ah, the living planet. Nice. Uh, And remember, this is way before Ego played this major role in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 movie. That's cool. Yeah, Chris also pointed out that, you know, the game has a few slight nods to the Konami X-Men arcade game. You know, when when you're on Magneto's island, uh, the biggest is that you fight what you think is Magneto until it's revealed it's actually Mystique in disguise. Uh, it's kind of cool, which which happens in Konami's game, too. So Chris said he also thinks they put raptors in there to kind of evoke the feeling of fighting those big alligator people in the arcade game. That's great. I loved that game. That was this big, like, arcade machine with, like, I think four players at the same time. So finally, uh, Chris said he looked into whether TT could slip in the theme music from the X-Men animated series in the X-Mansion level. Hmm. But it turned out to be a non-starter because of the high costs for licensing that music from Saban. Ah, licensing. Isn't that fun? Brian. Don't we love licensing? Uh, it's my favorite. It's favorite part yes. of this podcast. Yes. It's almost a game, too. Yes. Just the game of licensing. As mentioned before, Brian and I had a chance to talk to TT Games' lead in-game animator, Andy Dolan. He's the animator that Arthur talked about earlier, the one who didn't know how to say no and helped in creating many characters in the game. And obviously, Andy had an amazing ability to motivate his team. And so here's our interview with Andy. What was your process for figuring out how to make each character unique? Um, well, that is always the big question for the LEGO games. You're right, we, do, we, we have a lot of characters when you've got so many characters, you have to you have to put a, there's a lot of work to do, obviously, and you have to try and find the ways to make them all as unique as possible without you know blowing the budget time wise. So basically, you just break it down. You look at the characters, you work out which are the most important characters, which is difficult to do when they're all so big. Um, so yeah, there was a lot to think about. Did you uh, did you have a particular favorite character among? I mean, was there one that stood out for you as your favorite? At the start of the project, I would say. I mean, Spider-Man straight away, that's the one I wanted to to animate, to play with in the game, to control. And it was something completely different. We had, you know, developing all the web swinging mechanic. We had Spider-Man swinging through New York City. And that was an amazing thing to develop. So, that I mean, that one really stood out for me. But there were so many as well. Mr. Fantastic was another one. But so at the start of the project, I think, I think my favorite was Spider-Man. But by the end, it might, I think maybe... I was leaning more towards Mr. Fantastic because he he was so much fun as well with his stretchy limbs and and his strange transforms. He turning into teapots and screwdrivers and all kinds of things. So we had a lot of fun with that one. You know, it's interesting. Like in many ways, you must have when you're designing this, you're essentially 
breaking some of those inherent rules that were built into what you can and can't do for the Lego group in terms of minifigs, like the idea of stretching a minifigure's limbs. Did you have to have a conversation at the beginning with the Lego group about what was and wasn't allowed in terms of these minifigs? Absolutely, especially with Mr. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. The first thing is, can we stretch this guy out to to wrap his arms around things and to lift himself up. And we had his his feet scaling right up, which is something we've always been told, you know, we're not allowed to do that. You can't do that with a Lego toy. But fortunately, I think we, well, we were allowed to make an exception for Mr. Fantastic. Um, from, and the Lego group gave, gave us permission to, to really go to town with, with him. And, um, so that, yeah, that was a lot of fun as well to break all the rules. <laughs> so in terms of creating so many animations for so many characters, were you trying to sort of, for all of them, lean more towards the comic books or animation or towards a- animation meaning cartoons that were out there or the movies or, or did you sort of mix them all together? Like how did you come up with what you wanted to base them on? I would say it was very much a mix. I mean, I mean, I've I've got a, I've got shelves full of comics right here in the room with me. So I, I I did look a lot of the comics, especially for things like the idol poses, um, and I captured a lot of images, made some like storyboards for the teams' character guides we call them that I gave out to the team so they can see the kind of poses that we want to aim for. But when it when it came to things like fight moves, maybe more things that were in motion, so maybe then we we'd look more at the films. And try and capture some of the, you know, the cool moves that like Captain America might do, you know, with his shield and things like that. And the cartoons as well. I mean, I certainly, um, I remember, I remember Ice Man, we made Iceman freeze himself and burst out of it. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember Spider-Man and Friends from way back in the, I think it's from the 70s, but I must have watched yeah. it on the reruns. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, really from all over. Oh, and it seems like, I, I know uh, Arthur was saying that you sort of snuck in a lot of neat little jokes and animations that, you know, maybe they even surprised them as they were yeah. viewing things. Uh, how often were you trying to sneak in these sort of, I guess, animated Easter eggs? And, and are there any particular ones you're really proud of? All the time. <laughs> that, that is something we love to do, especially, in you know, in the idle animations when you leave the character standing alone for too long. It's always good to try and do, you know, get a little gag in there if you can. I mean, because it's a Lego game, it's, it's they're cool, but the, you know they're also fun. That a lot of it is is about the humour of the characters. So some some that stand out maybe is I remember one of my favourites was quite a simple one really. It's just a Hawkeye. If you leave him standing there, he'll just fire his bow into the sky, and and if you wait a moment, then then like an apple with an arrow through it will fall out the sky, or sometimes a fish, <laughs> a random fish would fall out the sky with an yes. arrow through it. Things like that. Sandman. I, rem- I really loved Sandman's idle animation where he'd, he'd turn himself into a sandcastle and then he'd he'd knock it over because, you know, he's a bully. <laughs> oh, nice. That's um, funny. Knock over his own sandcastle. Nice. And also he turned he turned into a cannon when he shoot it as well. Um, I think John Hall was the animator on that character. He came up with some great ideas. I mean, just the passion of that too. Like, there's an idle character not doing anything and you could say, yeah, you're not playing. Just... You know, that's what happens when you don't play your character. But the fact that you are going through every character and seeing what what else can we add, what can be fun, uh, yeah. add that to 200 and more, you know, characters, and my mind's kind of blown. Like, how did you do that? <laughs> um, well, we have a very talented team, first of all, a very talented team of animators. 
and when you give them these characters as well, it does it, it inspires them. You know, it fills them with ideas, and uh, sometimes it's difficult to stop them. You know, <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, we just had a lot of fun doing it. It's not really a job sometimes; it's just fun to come up with these ideas and, and get them working in the game. So I'm assuming, obviously, you had a big team working on things, and so different people had different characters they worked on. Uh, I guess my question is, did you specifically work on any characters or were you more sort of overseeing everybody else's work? I was very much overseeing everyone else's work. I did I did animate Spider-Man. It's something that I've not done since, uh, being a lead on a project, because I quickly found out that I didn't have much time to do anything else. Oh, right. right. It's a, you know, it's a big job, big responsibility to animate Spider-Man, and I did bring in some animators to help me out towards the end with some of the web swinging, getting the extra, you know, the tricks and the spins and the flips, and just to get him really awesome. But I mean, that had always been a dream of mine, so I couldn't pass up the opportunity to animate Spider-Man, really. That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always competition. At the start of the project, I always I like to ask the animators if there's any favorite characters that they have, and there's always a lot, you know, there's always sometimes some quite obscure favorites that people have that they want to animate. And it's great. It's great to see that passion. And, and if somebody's enthusiastic about a character like that, you know it's going to show in the work. I remember the reviews as they came in. Here, Arthur Parsons speaking again. The reviews, a lot of them noted that this was, this was like our love letter to the Marvel Universe. It's so true on so many levels because of all the content, whether it's, some, like I say, something from the Golden Age, something from the 70s Fantastic Four like cartoon, whether it's something from one of the movies, whether it's something from a TV show, we've kind of invented thinking it's going to become a thing. And guess what? Then it did. Yeah, in a very big way. Yeah, absolutely. And I still laugh as well. I would love to know how many people actually saw the credits because the credits on this game, for me, especially now that Stanley's no longer with us, sadly, um, it's one of those magical moments having having Stan sort of like narrate at the ending of the game and, and, and exactly how this how it should have ended it's just magical and and you know I would love to just know that did everyone get just finish the story and and see those credits because it is a magic magic credit sequence the the, the yeah when we came up with the idea it was a bit of a can we pull this off can we do and, and I remember seeing it for the first time and being like, wow, that, that's, it's, it's almost to the point of bringing a tear to my eye because it, it is so touching. It's all amazing. It's like, I love this game. Once more, the world is safe and the heroes have saved the day. And that true believer is exactly how it should have ended. Bits and Bricks is made possible by LEGO Games. Your hosts are Brian Crescente and Ethan Vincent. Producing by Dave Tack. Our executive producer is Ronnie Scherer. Creative direction and editing by Ethan Vincent. Writing by Brian Crescente. Mixing and sound design by Dan Carlisle. Music by Peter Primer. 
excerpts from various LEGO game soundtracks, and Enric Lindstrand from the award-winning game LEGO Builder's Journey, which you can play on Apple Arcade today. We'd like to thank our participants, Chris Baker, Andy Dolan, and Arthur Parsons. We'd also like to thank the entire LEGO Games team. For questions and comments, write us at bitsandbricks at lego.com. That's bits, the letter N, then bricks at lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks. Bits and Bricks.